0: Father, we know that we need your mercy because you have told us in your word. And Father, we know that you give mercy because you've told us that in your word. Thank you so much, Lord, that we have your revelation to us. I pray that today as we look at your word, that we are in awe, that you would allow us to touch your revelation in this way that, Lord, you would use it to change our hearts. Would you do that today? That as you use it to strengthen us and make us more like Christ, would you do that today as well? Lord, would you help me to be faithful, to preach what the Scripture says? And, Lord, you have, by your sovereign power, brought everybody here today who's listening. And so, Lord, I pray that each one of them would be faithful to listen and that we would all be faithful to change into Christ-likeness. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John 7. John 7, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 31 this morning. John seven, twenty-five through 31. So we're still in Jerusalem <clears throat> during the Feast of Booths. And we've actually already seen some excitement here. Uh, People have been whispering about Jesus. Oh, that the leadership's out to get Jesus. But I mean, come on, what else is there to talk about? Have you seen or heard what this guy is doing? So they're whispering about Jesus. We ended last week with the passage right in front of this one by thinking about the three groups that we saw here. We saw the Jews. That is when John says the Jews, he means the Jewish leadership the ones who are out to to get Jesus. We saw the Jews. We saw the crowds. And we saw Jesus. Now the crowds, they're somewhere in the middle between the Jews and Jesus. They're fascinated by Jesus. They're they're curious about who he is. But as a whole, so far from what we see, they're not hearing him when he tells them who he is. We're just saying, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy. We're we're about to see one of the great reasons why we need the Lord to have mercy. There's a theme that's going to start appearing here in John, because crowds are an interesting thing. One of the things that John wants us to see is that when Jesus came to earth, there was a lot of confusion about who he was. There was a lot of confusion among who? Well, among the Israelites, among these crowds, you know, it's, it's easy to look at crowds and to think that they're one unified whole, that, that because they're all together at the same time and they might all be together for the same reason, for instance, to hear Jesus, that they're a unified whole. But that's usually not the case. You know, I read an article this week about the, the trucker convoy that's happening right now in Canada. And the point was that despite how some people may paint it, the, the crowds, the people who are, are protesting the government's overreach there, they're, they're, when you really get down into them, they're not the same at all. There's, there's a lot of diversity. They're, they might be united on this one particular thing, but when you dig in, you find that it's a lot of very different people who are on the surface can look like they are the same, but they're not. What's happening here in the Feast of Booths is that John is digging in a little deeper into the crowd for us today. And we're going to see that there's more than three groups. There's more than just the Jews, the crowds, and Jesus. We're going to meet the people today who live in Jerusalem, for example. The ones that know about the Jewish leadership. And we're going to see that there are people who are actually believing in Jesus as the Christ. So there's a theme here that's emerging in the Gospel of John. I'm going to call that theme the confusion in Jerusalem. The confusion in Jerusalem. I'm going to bring it up numerous times going forward. You might wonder why that matters. You might be thinking, well, that's just some interesting biblical knowledge. But it's actually more than that. There's a reason we need to see this now. Because these are God's people that we're talking about, right? The, these people that, that Jesus is talking to, they're the ones that, he, that were called. They were set apart from the other nations. God was to be their God. They were to be His people. And when Jesus comes, Jesus, the Son of God, the one, the Christ, the one that was promised to these people, there's confusion over what's happening. And we need to see why that matters Because we're seeing the problem here now. We're getting a glimpse of this problem because John is setting the stage for the solution to the problem. And here's a hint. We're seeing the confusion because John wants to answer once again for us the question that John asks over and over again in his gospel. Who is Jesus? Who is he? John loves to bring out different facets of that answer, doesn't he? He's setting us up now. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you he's setting us up now because he's got another answer coming. That answer is going to be in chapter 10, so we're still a little ways away from it. That's all I'm going to say right now. I don't want to spoil the surprise for you. But if you go and you read in John chapter 10, you're going to see that what Jesus calls himself in John 10 really makes a whole lot more sense when you see the confusion in Jerusalem among his people. So let's read. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Out in the temple, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him, I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Okay, so we're gonna look at this in three, three parts this morning. First, we're gonna look at some people questioning the narrative here. That's what we see right away, is these people, they're questioning the narrative. We're looking specifically now, we've been moving through the crowd, we've been seeing different people. We've now come, acro- acro- uh, we've come across a pocket, it's harder to say than you think, a pocket of people, oh my goodness, that's getting worse they're all from Jerusalem. John actually says Jerusalemites. And so remember, this is the Feast of Booths, which is huge. So you've got Jewish people from all over who have traveled into Jerusalem. You have people who don't normally live around Jerusalem. They're not from around here. They don't see what goes on in Jerusalem week in and week out. You know, all these folks who who travel into Jerusalem, a a lot of them, they might have rose-colored glasses about the city where the temple of God is. Or, Or they might see the Jews. Remember, the Jews are the Jewish leadership, the Sanhedrin. They might see the Jews, and they might be a little in awe of the Jews as they see them here because they're not around them all the time. But these Jerusalemites, they're different. They live here. They know. They they, they see the Jews and how the Jews do their business all the time. They've seen the leadership do all their political maneuvering. So they, in other words, they know enough to start questioning the narrative here. Wait a second. Is not this the man that they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him? Is it possible? Can it be that this is the Christ? These Jerusalem enough to know that if the Jews really wanted Jesus arrested or dead, they would make it happen. If you you read about Jewish history and Jewish politics at this time, they would make it happen if they wanted to. And the Jerusalemites, they know that. Either he should be dead or there should be a lot more action going on here than just him getting up here and talking the way that he's talking. But instead, look at him. He's there. He's speaking. They're not doing anything to him. Do they know something? Is there something that they know and they're not telling us? They're not not saying? Now, I, I know what we're all thinking. That's crazy. Leaders don't ever keep anything from the people that they're supposed to be serving. I get that. But maybe, just maybe, it happens every now and then, right? Of course, there's nothing new under the sun, is there? People are the same People are the same now that they were then. And these Jerusalemites, they know enough to know. There's something weird going on here. They start asking questions. But here's what's interesting to me. The question they ask, the conclusion they go to is, could this be the Christ? That's the question they're asking. Now, could could he be the one that's exactly what everybody's wondering isn't it this is this is exactly what john has presented to us and the the people of jerusalem now they're wondering it too jesus is here and his very presence it's highlighting this confusion so they ask could it be him but then as soon as they ask it they think of an argument against it they say no no that can't be right it's got to be something else. We know where this man comes from. When the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. Which actually, that, what that does is that adds another layer to the confusion for us here in Jerusalem. Because there were several where the Christ origins would be. Do you remember in the Christmas story when the wise men go to Herod, right? Don't Herod's scholars immediately pinpoint? Bethlehem. Bethlehem is where you should go. So, so clearly some people thought, no, we, we do know where his origins will be. He's going to come from Bethlehem. Keep an eye on Bethlehem. They referenced Old Testament passages uh, like the one in Micah. Others, however, they argued that the Christ, when he came, he would just suddenly appear. Malachi says that the Lord you seek will suddenly appear in the temple. So they may have thought, no, when the Christ shows up, we won't know where he came from. He'll just appear, and there will be the Christ. So there's more confusion that's going on here, and so, so they're wondering, you know, are the Jews hiding something? But, but it can't be that because we won't know where he comes from. Everything's confused. Responds. And that's the second thing we want to look at. After we see these people questioning the narrative and it highlights the confusion, Jesus shows up and he responds to the folks who are questioning the narrative. And this is how he does it. He starts off, and we don't know. We don't know if he heard them. We don't know if Jesus just knew, because John has already told us he knows what's in the hearts of men. Maybe he just knew that this question was out there. And so Jesus starts off by agreeing with them. He says, You know me and you know where I come from. Yes, it's true. You guys know where I'm from. You've seen me around for a while, but then listen to what he says. He says, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you don't know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. What did Jesus do here? He's done what he's done so many times before in John. Graphical locations. He doesn't try and explain that he was born in Bethlehem, that he could also claim he came from Egypt, and he could also claim he came from Nazareth. He doesn't do any of that. As always, Jesus goes right to what matters. They're earthly-minded. They're thinking about geographical locations. But Jesus talks about eternal realities. Yes, you know me but you don't know everything. In the sense that really matters, they don't know where Jesus came from. They know by now who Jesus says that he comes from. Jesus hasn't hidden that. So what is Jesus saying when he says, he who sent me is true, and him you do not know? He who sent me is true. He is real. He is who he is is true real he exists he is everything i told you a couple weeks back one of the things about the sanhedrin that might be surprising many of them didn't actually think god was real he says the one who sent me is real he's true but then what does he say he says in him you don't know. Isn't this what he's done so many times before with them? It's a common method that Jesus uses. He takes somebody's comment, he takes somebody's question about something earthly or physical, and he uses it to change the conversation. He takes Nicodemus's questions And he uses it to change the conversation to spiritual birth. He takes the Samaritan woman's talk about the well, and, and he takes the crowd's talk about the bread. He takes the Jerusalemite's comments about geographical location, and each time, what does he do? He turns heavenward with it immediately. He turns to what truly matters. You know, to our ears, sometimes when we see Jesus do this, it can sound awkward, Logically, we might think, you know, leaps are being made here, but not if you see the priority of God. Jesus is here to turn earthly minds heavenward. They don't because they don't know God. They can't comprehend the eternal God. Who cares about this debate? about geographical location when you don't know God? Who cares about whether you worship on that mountain or in Jerusalem when you don't know God? Have you seen over and over again? And and here's the thing. We're talking debates that are legitimate, debates that are, are serious in our minds. But his response is, that the reality is they don't have any idea where Jesus comes from and thinking about geographical location is not going to help them here. They have to think about God's plan. They are so far, these Jews here in Jerusalem, are so far from God, the confusion is so great that when He's standing there in front of them, they're lost. They've deceived themselves with their feasts. They've deceived themselves with their works. They've deceived themselves with their family lineages. But none of that matters if you don't know God. And so this is what we see Jesus doing. He's turning these conversations heavenward. And he brings fruit from them. It's disruptive though, isn't it? It's disruptive. It's, it, it can cause tension. You know, just as an aside, I, I want to throw out there for us as we see Jesus doing this. Are there any conversations that you could turn heavenward this week? Are there any people that you are talking with right now that you could turn those conversations heavenward? Maybe it's possible that the person you're talking to won't understand, just like so many of these people didn't understand. It's possible the person you're talking to might get offended that you did that, just like many of these people got offended that Jesus did that. But it's also possible that someone might see God for the first time if you would turn your conversations heavenward. Pay attention here. There's more than just Jerusalemites to meet today in the crowd. When you and I turn a conversation talking about God, we have no idea what might happen with it. It could go badly for us. You know, it could go badly for us and still, still go wonderful for someone else. When we see Jesus doing this, what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus's priority, the Son of God's priority in this moment is to get these people to see what they need. To get them to stop thinking about the Savior they want and see the Savior that God has provided. This is God that we're talking about. When you turn a conversation heavenward, who knows what may happen? And we see a reminder of that in verse 30. Look at verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. It's a really interesting, really interesting sentence, isn't it? Man, you really wish you knew the events that actually happened that John is describing in this sentence, right? But he didn't give it to us, and there's a reason why he didn't give it to us, because of what John wants us to see, what God wants us to see through John's writing. He wants us to see this. They were seeking to arrest him. They wanted to arrest him. It wasn't for lack of desire and it wasn't for lack of effort here that Jesus was not arrested. Their intention was to arrest him. But it did not happen. Why? No one laid a hand on him. And this is where, again, you have to see what John wants you to see. He doesn't tell you, for instance, let's say no one laid a hand on him because Jesus could run really fast. I don't think that's what it was. No one could lay a hand on him because all the animals suddenly just came in and got in between. You know, John doesn't give us that. What does John tell us? He says no one could lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Who gets involved to make sure that no one could lay a hand on him? That's what John wants you to see. And the answer's obvious, isn't it? Who got involved here? God. Why could they not lay a hand on him? His time wasn't come. It would interfere with God's plan. That's it. Despite what the people of Jerusalem thought, they missed it on this, despite what they thought, the Jews really did want to arrest him. They just couldn't. It wasn't their fault. This is a reminder to you and I of how the world actually works, isn't it? We need to to, to sit on this phrase for a, a few minutes when it comes to our own lives. This phrase is telling you and I, God had a plan. He knew what his will was going to be. and it was not going to be stopped. As one commentator said, but God is over all. His purpose is worked out. People cannot prevent it. The time for Jesus' death was not yet, and his enemies could not bring that time forward no matter how they might try. That's what the hour is here, isn't it? The hour is Christ's death. And it wasn't time for that yet. Here's the amazing thing, guys. Jesus says what he says, and he's confident that the outcome will be exactly what the Father intends. Jesus gives us here an example of what living by faith is like. Living, living by faith in a sovereign God. A few years back, I was teaching through the story of David. And you get to where David meets Jonathan. And Jonathan is just such a, a wonderful, wonderful figure in Scripture. And so there's a story where Jonathan and his armor bearer are, are out. And they come over this hill and they see, they see a Philistine garrison up here. And again, it's just Jonathan and his armor bearer, but he sees the Philistine garrison and he goes, okay, it's time. Again, it's just, I don't know if I clarified, it's just Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's all it is. And he goes and he attacks the Philistine garrison. And he wins. Let's see what God may do. But here's the thing that I thought of when I I read that story and when we talked about it. The attitude that Jonathan had there, let's do this and let's see what God may do. The attitude that Jonathan had there is if he had gone over that hill and as soon as he had gone over that hill, the first Philistine that saw him went, who's that crazy guy? Whack! When Jonathan opened his eyes in front of the Lord, I'm certain he would have been like, wanted to do there jesus says what he says he's he's confident the outcome will be exactly what the father intends the people here in jerusalem they misread the situation the jews did want him dead but look what happened look what happened instead instead of the jews being able to kill jesus in this moment the crowds begin to talk about is he the christ We begin to see more confusion arise. God's not done revealing His Son to His people yet. So He's not going to die. There's more to be seen. There is more to answer of that question, who is Jesus? It's not done yet. Talking about Jesus, though, is going to do something, guys. It may cause tension. It may cause confusion. It might expose divisions. It can do all of those things. Proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. Jesus, when He shows up, He causes tension. He is absolute. He is pure. We're not. You and I, we both know it. When Jesus shows up in your life, when when He, Christian, when He comes into your heart, it doesn't always feel like peace, does it? Peter describes it as the war that's waged within your soul. There's an old man there that has to be put to death. When Jesus shows up, sometimes it can be hard. And when Jesus shows up here, it may cause confusion. It may cause and expose division. It can open eyes. And sure enough, we read, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Many were questioning, many were attacking, many were just confused, but some were seeing and believing. When you think about the sovereignty of God in this moment, which we should because we have that phrase, the hour has not yet come. When you're thinking about the sovereignty of God in this moment, think about what Spurgeon said. He said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sin. God does that. He was doing it in Jerusalem, He's doing it now. It's not our responsibility to harden or soften anyone. It is not our responsibility to put someone in one group or another. Like to see? We may know which group we would like people to be in. It's not our responsibility to put them there. There will still be people who attack. There are going to be people who ride the fence and they never want to commit one way or another. There are going to be people who will doubt. There are going to be people... Until the moment that every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, these different groups are always going to be here. There will be this kind of confusion. I mean, you think about how this has continued throughout church history. You think of all the martyrs who were willing to die when they were told to be silent about Jesus. Jesus. They were attacked. They were killed. You consider all the people who call themselves Christians, but then they end up attacking other Christians because like these Israelites, they think that Jesus should be a different kind of Messiah and Lord that he is. There's always going to be those who refuse to accept that Jesus doesn't let people ride the fence. with the world is enmity with God. James says, oh you adulterous people, but there are going to be those who refuse to accept that Jesus doesn't let you ride the fence. He will show up and he will reveal those who can't commit themselves to him. And there will be those that just don't know where to go. And even though they hear the gospel, they've still got one more question to wonder about. There will be those who always have another question. That Jesus so few of the questions that he was asked or I were Jesus in the gospel of John and we were being asked these same questions would we have answered them the way that he did he he didn't really give their questions what we would call due diligence he gets asked what he's doing at a well he gets a serious question about the temple he doesn't really answer either one of them he doesn't answer their legitimate questions about where the Messiah comes from they're going to be people who will always have another question, but maybe they don't need an answer to that question. Maybe they need to be directed heavenward. These Pharisees, if you had let them, they could have asked questions all day long about Scripture. But that wasn't their problem. Jesus cuts through all of this. And he should do it for you and for me too. What is it? What is it that Jesus came for? He came because you and I are sinners, condemned by our guilt. He didn't come to condemn We read that, didn't we, in John chapter 3. He didn't need to come to condemn. That wasn't his intention. If Jesus came to condemn, everything would look a lot different than it does right now. (laughs) He didn't come to condemn. No, we're condemned already. He came so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. He cuts right through. The issue is you are a sinner. You are separated from God. You by your own power can't claim to know Him or deserve anything from Him. The Creator of the world owes you nothing and in fact you've broken His law. You're separated from God. The prophet Isaiah tried to tell these same people sin has made a separation between you and your God. And so when Jesus... God hasn't changed. You're cursed. You've been cursed since Adam and Eve. And quite frankly, in the scheme of things, who cares about anything else if you do not have this relationship with God? But these Jews, they care about so much else. They're concerned with so much else. Praise God when some see and believe, though. When some see and believe. The people in Jerusalem, they were all lost. They were confused. They were divided. I want to end today, though, with where we began. John's introducing a theme here in his gospel. I said it. I'm calling it confusion in Jerusalem. And there's a reason for that. And that reason ans- centered around the answer to the question John chapter 10. In just a few minutes. If you were to keep reading, you would come' saying here. He's answering the question exactly what he would do with a lost, confused, divided group of people. Do you know what a lost, confused, divided group of people need? Well, they're kind of like sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the, she- the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You don't want that man to be your shepherd. The man who doesn't show up through the front door in the right way. But he who enters by the door, he is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this is interesting. In, in verse 6, it says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. Guys, we should understand by the time we get to John 10, because I want you to look at the Jews in John 5, and seeing a flock of sheep that is lost and confused and has no direction. They don't have the truth in front of them. God's sheep being called out. The shepherd has walked in and he has raised his voice. And those who see and believe, those are the sheep who've lifted up their heads and go, I know that voice. I hear the truth in those words. I see the truth in what he's saying about myself and my need for God. I hear him say, you don't know God, and I realize that's true. I don't know God. His sheep are hearing his voice. He's our shepherd. He will be the shepherd until he returns. That's what he's doing here. This is who Jesus is when he comes here to Jerusalem. They don't know it yet. They don't even know it when he says to them, when he's talking about shepherds, because here's the thing, here's the tragedy. They don't don't realize they're lost. They They don't realize just how great their problem is. Guys, you have to hear Jesus. But not only that, Christians, Christians, we have to be the voice of Jesus. How will they know unless they here, We have to be the voice of Jesus in a very confused culture, in a very confused world, proclaiming the gospel. Who can you talk to this week and turn the conversation heavenward? Who, who might you try and introduce to the shepherd? Again, you can't put anybody in any group But God can, and He does. The King has shown up. I want to read again here to close what we read to begin the service. When you think about the confusion of this world, you think about our lostness apart from Christ. Come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. How far are we from God if Christ does not make us a new creation? This is how far we are from God. We can't even endure his message. If even a beast touched the mountains, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We see this picture here in John 7 of the earthly Jerusalem, which is marked by confusion, it's marked by division, it's marked by distrust. But when the shepherd showed up, his intention, his plan is for a heavenly one. That hour may not be yet, but it can't be stopped. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Christian, that's us. You and I couldn't claim that righteousness on our own. No, did you you hear the passive voice there? Made perfect. That's what Jesus did. That's what he says right here. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel the sprinkled blood, the work of Christ, the hour that he was referring to that makes it possible for you and I to dream of and hope in a new and heavenly Jerusalem that we can be a part of. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Acceptable worship, guys. That's not just what we're doing here this morning. That's our lives given over to Christ. That's you and I, knowing that we are sheep who have heard the voice. We are heading towards an eternal kingdom. We are following the shepherd right now while the shepherd is still calling out for more sheep. That's what we're doing. We're living for Him. We're proclaiming His excellencies with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, it's so easy for us to become confused. It is so easy for divisions to rise up. It's so easy, Lord, for us to get fixated on all the wrong things. Lord, I thank you that that Jesus' hour did not come before we could see him among his people showing what your plan and your will is. We could see him not giving in to his creation because he is the good shepherd. He gives us exactly what we need. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to to accept that for ourselves. Lord, destroy our pride and foster in us a humility that what we need is Christ above all your grace and your mercy to us, your love every day, that's what we need. Help us to live that way. Would help us to turn our lives and our conversations heavenward this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.